Coming up on today's show, we've started to slow down a little bit in terms of vaccination in our country, still doing very well, 75% minimum across the board in terms of first dose. But if we want to keep the numbers ticking up, we've got to reach out to Gen Z. Some troubling news on the cyber warfare front, and it is Space Exploration Day, the anniversary of the moon landing. We'll have a great discussion with Joe Rail of the New York's Hayden Planetarium. So the push to increase vaccination rates has gone all kinds of places. As you know, we've seen lotteries, we've seen giveaways, giant massive walk-in or drive-through clinics, some places offering free beer and marijuana if you get a vaccination. Um, By and large, Canada has done extremely well in this area. We, in fact, now lead the world in percentage of population that have received a vaccination. One area where it seems to be lagging a little bit, though, is among younger Canadians. And, you know, if you think about it, there may be a few good reasons for that. So we're going to find out exactly what we may be able to do to, you know, improve the, the push, specifically around Gen Zers. Is it Gen Zers or Gen Zers, Sarah? You're one of them. I think it's Gen Zer. Gen Zers. I don't know. I call them Zoomers. I'm just, Zoomers? Okay. We'll call them Zoomers. That's yeah. easier to say. Okay. Uh, so how do we get through to these Zoomers? Let's find out. We're going to chat with uh, Marcel Denese, who's a professor emeritus of anthropology at the University of Toronto and get some insight into this situation. Uh, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Appreciate your time, Marcel. My pleasure. So when we My talk pleasure. when we talk about this particular demographic uh, in, in North American society, I guess, probably around the world, they really are very, very different from your Gen Xers and your boomers, right? I mean, they spend their lives and are heavily influenced by media that is entirely different from what their older peers have lived their lives experiencing. Uh, Yes and no. (laughs) Let me say that I uh, had the pleasure and privilege of teaching um, uh, three generations. I was at the University of Toronto for 46 years, so I taught the parents and even the grandparents of the current (laughs) generation. And while, yes, media, I'm also an ex-student of Marshall McLuhan's, while media do, in effect, affect cognition, the way we look at things and think about them, we still have the same brain, which is more or less involved in getting the correct kind of information. The problem, as I see it, because of these media, is that oral dialogue, which is the most persuasive of all forms of communication, has kind of evanesced into cyberspace. And even when I was teaching last, I, I, I'm always good. I love dialogue with students. But what, what really finished off a lesson was if I could then put it online and completed the thoughts in that way. So there's no way around it. The oral dialogue is still effective, but it needs a completion nowadays with the social media dialogue, which kind of either ensconces it or changes it. Now, the generation gap is nothing new. We've always dealt with it. And I think part of it, when you're talking about that oral communication, I I have two kids that are uh, Zoomers, as we're calling them. Um, The way they speak, the way they use language is entirely different. I mean, we they, they just talk differently. Yeah. The online modes of speaking with its compressed forms, its quick, ironic sense of humor, a kind of laugh track between the lines and several of these, has, be, has migrated to 
offline. The, the, the difference between the two is almost irrelevant. I remember the movie The Matrix in yeah. 1999, which said, we're, you know, we're born into two matrices. Matrix also means womb in Latin. One of them is the physical womb, and the other one is the electronic yeah. womb. The two have now merged in, um, in semiotics, which I teach. It's called the simulacrum. We cannot often, and we don't want to tell the difference between one area, the real world, and the other area, the virtual world. So, yes, it, it is a different world. And talking to uh, people today, you will hear the online world come into their mouths and speak um, to you directly. But that always has happened. Yes. In the print age, let's not forget that, you know, I remember good writing also meant eloquence in speaking. You took good writing, print, styles, and so on, and made sure that you use them in the real world. So the, how can I say, the connection between the two domains has always been there, but it's ever more so today. How do we bridge that gap then? What's the best method for us to try and get the message that we want to spread to this generation and, and sort of communicate with them in a way that will be effective? If I knew that answer, I might be a very rich man very soon. I don't have it. I really don't. You know, you need patience. Uh, you need um, one thing that I know would happen would be very effective if young people among themselves on their, uh, whatever they're using, TikTok or whatever else, are spreading the message among themselves. It's like yeah. the word viral communication really applies in this case. The problem has been that the viral communications have not been very good ones recently. And, you know, you know if I'm an adolescent, I'm kind of interested in the pandemic, but also I'm more interested in, in all other kinds of things. So getting that message across through the same kind of language that they use is crucial, but it must be among themselves. Yeah, it must come from, from their peers. Not from people in authority. Absolutely not. Anybody doing it well? Can we point to anybody around the world who has tapped into this and is doing an effective job of it? You know, I have an analogy, not in this field, but of climate change. That young lady whose name now escapes me. Greta? Who even, yes. She was able to convince so many young people. I, I was discussing her in my classes before I retired. And her dialogue, her words came up and had resonance, and I was able to take those words, extend them into the whole domain of language uh, as influencing attitudes towards climate, pandemics, and things of that nature. So she is the analog that I can use. I think the U.S. tried to use one as well recently, um, but I don't know her very well. Um, and so that's the only example that I can think of that is, <laughs> comes close to what we should probably be doing in this other area. Yeah, interesting. Uh, Marcel, thanks so much for your time this morning. I My appreciate pleasure. it. Thank My you pleasure. very much. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. That is Marcel Danese, who is a professor emeritus of anthropology at the University of Toronto. There's a lot of news on the old cybercrime war front. Uh, a new front opened up this weekend, in fact. Uh, we've talked a lot about ransomware attacks and the impact they're having, and we're going to get into um, the latest uh, allegations against China made by, well, pretty much all of the Western world. Um, but we also learned this weekend of an Israeli spy-developed program called Pegasus, and what it does, I think, is hides on your cell phone and essentially tracks everything that you do with your phone. And the person who has deployed the program can also access and record everything on your phone. 
It was sold to all kinds of different groups around the world, uh, mainly foreign governments. And we've now learned that politicians, business leaders, journalists, activists have all been targeted by this software. Uh, governments essentially spying on people through their cell phones. So let's get some details on on how this all works. We have Dr. Ann Kavukian joining us now, a distinguished expert in residence in privacy and data analytics, Privacy by Design Center of Excellence at Ryerson University. Uh, doctor, thanks so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's my pleasure. So do I have Pegasus right? Is that basically what it does? Yeah. It's developed by the Israeli, well, ex-Israeli um, spies, and, yes. and, and it just tracks everything that happens on your phone. Uh, it is just so appalling. It's a highly advanced spyware that infiltrates uh, your phone, for example, through a, what's called a zero-click attack that doesn't require any interaction from the target, and it can be planted. Um, uh, it could be planted through calls or messages. It basically collects everything from your spy, your your um, phone, your your online device, and it evades detection. That's the most unbelievable part of it. So it can be running on your phone for some time, and you have no idea. Yes. You have no idea. And what appalls me is governments are using this yes. extensively. Governments, for God's sake, we're supposed to be open and transparent. Ah, well, this is the. Using this. This is the thing about this software system. It's it's not a secret. I mean, you can you no. can buy it, but the Israeli government is supposed to issue licenses to whoever is buying this with strict rules on how it's to be used. Clearly, that is oh. that's fallen down. Totally, NSO has taken this to everywhere. Everyone seems to be buying this, and it, it's just once it's installed, it can steal the target's contact list, GPS location, personal passwords, all of this. And it just defies detection and of by traditional security tools. It has a very strong monitoring and self-destruct mechanism as well. And so this is what is so, there's so many appalling things to this, but that somehow the Israeli government is saying okay to this. And governments and all kinds of other organizations all around the world are buying this. And then they're targeting people like politicians and journalists uh, and activists. And I mean, all kinds, right? right? And journalists, and in India, for example, so many journalists have been targeted. It is just so outrageous. Um, and it can be used in ways uh, that it can easily hide itself, and it can hook on to a large number of functions on the phone and intercept all forms of communication. Um, and, you know, there's a lot of people who think that Apple is somehow immune to this, but we know that this Pegasus software works uh. perfectly well on all Apple devices, Right. That's what I have heard. You know, I can't verify that, but that's what I've heard. Now, uh, when we take a look at what this is being used for, obviously when you're targeting journalists, politicians, and activists, it's to it's to strike out against what these states are seeing as enemies of their state, correct? That's right. That's right, which is ridiculous. I mean, journalists and activists, surely they should be able to have a voice, and you can disagree with them as well, but you don't go spying on them like that. So what's the outcome here? Now that we know this is happening and this is going on, what kind of recourse is there? I'm really hoping that people will pressure the Israeli government to do something about this, to at least to try to introduce some transparency as to the organizations who are purchasing this. But um, don't hold your breath. I, I don't know how that's going to turn out. From what I've read and from what I understand, it's it's not you know it's not the United States government, it's not the Canadian government, it's no. not EU no. governments. It's it's more of you know authoritarian leadership and stuff like that that's tapping into this, right? Well, I'm assuming that, but we don't really we, we don't really know. don't know. 
that's the problem. We don't know. There's no transparency here. Um, the other issue I want to get your thoughts on is uh, this really... Um, I, I think it's a very welcome development where we have, you know, Canada, Australia, New Zealand, the EU, um, the UK, the United States, all standing up, pointing the finger directly at China and saying, we know you were behind the Microsoft Exchange attack a couple yeah. of years ago. Um, yeah. Just tell us, what was that attack? I mean, it was enormous, right? It was enormous, but of course, China is denying it. Of course. That's the, that is the, what is outrageous in all of this is how do we get any accountability and responsibility? I'm delighted that all these countries got together and they're pointing the finger at China. But China, they don't value freedom. They don't value, I mean, you know, the, the social credit scores that China has, which drive me crazy. They basically, for their own people, their own citizens, they, they assign them scores based on what the government thinks, that they jaywalk too much and we're going to reduce your score. And people might think, well, so what? What's the big deal? It's just a stupid score. The score has impacts on your life. Just a very small story. This brilliant student who finished high school, uh, A pluses everywhere, uh, wanted to apply to universities in China. He was denied entry into any university. Why? Because the social credit scores of his parents were not acceptable. Can you imagine? Hmm. Yeah, uh, that, oh. that is shocking. What was done with that exchange uh, hack? Well, they accessed all this information from Microsoft and used it in a variety of ways, which we still do not know. So it's widespread. And, I mean, we all know Exchange. It is used by millions of people around the world for yeah. so many different things. Yeah, this is, this is the problem, exactly. And when a country like China gains access yeah. to all that information, oh, give it up. It's, it's really outrageous. I mean, China... Is this the first time, and we've, we've heard about Russia and Eastern European uh, countries and North Korea being involved in these ransomware attacks and other cyber attacks, yeah. but is this the first time they've actually said China was behind something like this? I believe so, but don't quote me on that because I'm not certain. Okay. Um, and uh, as you said, China denying it, uh, the United States saying they're not yeah. bringing in sanctions yet, they're doing investigations. Do you think there will be an increase uh. in pressure here? I, I actually do because this is so extensive, and so many companies, are, or sorry, because so many countries are working together to oppose China in this measure. So I'm, I'm thinking and I'm hoping that something will take place. We'll have to watch and see, um, Doctor. Thanks so much for your time this morning. I appreciate it. Thank you so much to keep our eyes on. <laughs> so much, so much, and every day there's more. Yeah, absolutely. Thank All the you. Best. Okay, thank you. Dr. Ann Kavukian, uh, an expert in residence and privacy and data analytics at the Privacy by Design Center of Excellence at Ryerson University. Now you're just showing off. You got another one ready for 1130? Yeah, I do. Do you? couple. Look at you. Wow. Sarah Fox coming through with the music today. Nicely done. Well, one of them's from Pat in Calgary, so we'll see how you like that one. Oh, really? Yeah. Hmm. All right. So, so you'll have to... You're two him. for two with the Bowie and Elton John so far. Okay. Well done. Uh, I'm impressed. We, we've got a lot of suggestions on the text line. Did you see all those that you could use? 
Space Truckin', Deep Purple, you could use that one. Oh, that's Pat's suggestion. Okay, there you go. That's a surprise. (laughs) That's a good one. A lot of people, uh, yeah, Major Tom, we got that one covered. We're good there. Um, There's a whole bunch that we can uh, can get to. If you just check the text, if you're running out of ideas, Sarah, check the text line. People are sending us space-related songs. Okay, I'll go take a look. So if, you, if you're out of ideas, you can find them there. Uh, a whole bunch of texts about the moon landing, and uh, a lot of people talking about whether it was faked or not. Some people really upset that people would even imply that it was faked. So we can get back into the moon landing in just a minute and take your calls on texts on that as well. 780-496-0063-403-974-8255. So... Before we get to the moon landing discussion and the UFO discussion as well, we're going to talk now about planets and why they seem so bright in the sky. Uh, It's a little more complicated than you might think. There's a lot of different factors that go into just how bright a planet is. So let's get some details around that. We are going to chat now with Joe Rayo, who is an instructor and a guest lecturer at New York's Hayden Planetarium. Joe, thank you for joining us. I appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. And uh, yes, uh, you know, 52 years ago, man landed on the moon. And do you remember, those of you out there who remember watching, those of us of a certain age, on that amazing <laughs> Sunday night in late July of 1969, do you remember uh, as the first images from the moon were shown on our television screens of uh, what we were looking at? I wasn't alive. You'll have to tell me. Okay. Well, if you were if you were watching that night, the first transmission from the moon of Neil Armstrong coming down the ladder, the ladder on the yep. module was upside down. Upside down. And on CBS TV, Walter Cronkite turned to his uh, colleague Wally Sharar, former astronaut Wally Sharar, and he said, well, "Right now, Wally, I'm envisioning 600 million people around the world standing on their heads." <laughs> <laughs> oh man, Walter was the best. I mean, you don't want anybody else narrating and guiding you through an experience like that, other than Walter Cronkite. I mean, he—he's he, part of that. That absolutely. space. Um, yeah, absolutely, Joe. Since we're talking about that, um, you know, did how, first of all, you 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 saw it, right? You were you were around when it happened, were you? Yes, I was. I was. Uh, I was not quite uh, uh, 13 years old okay. in uh, 1969. I we're remember t- it well. We're talking a lot about, you know, just the fact, I mean, sure, it's absolutely remarkable accomplishment and, and the history around it, but focusing a bit on the inspiration. Now, for a guy who ended up doing what you're doing, did that play a role? How inspiring was it for you what you saw that day? Well, it, was, it just blew me away, and uh, I had, I had uh, an interest in astronomy even before that. I... My grandfather um, showed me an eclipse of the sun. It was a partial eclipse. Uh, We watched it from the porch of uh, his house in 1963, and it got me so fired up about astronomy that I uh, started taking books out uh, from the library, and eventually I ended up uh, getting a telescope for Christmas. And my grandfather made a uh, promise to me. We saw a partial eclipse, but he said, you know, in 1925, New York City saw a total eclipse, and I saw that, and I'm going to take you to a total eclipse of the sun. He promised me in 19, that we were going to go in 1970, but unfortunately, he had to have a, an operation. He was, a, he was a heavy smoker, and he uh, 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 had to have his voice box, his larynx, removed. And it was on the day before the, uh, the eclipse. So huh. I visited him the day of the eclipse. We, uh, it was in New York City, 
and I saw the uh, the partial eclipse once again. But he on a on a blackboard, a little slate. He said, "When is the when is the next one?" And I knew the next one was going to be in 1972 in Canada, uh, in the Gaspe Peninsula okay, of yeah. uh, Quebec. And I told him that's where we were going. And uh, sure enough, two years later, in July of 1972. Uh, he and I and my grandmother, my my mom, my sister, we took a leisurely 900-mile uh, drive <laughs> from New York up to the Gas Bay where we saw a total eclipse. And I've seen since then, I've seen 11 others all around the world. But the, but the moon landing, was ju- it just blew me away because I followed that as a, as a youngster, the, the, the Mercury flights, the, the yeah. Gemini flights, and then to see it all come to uh, the pass finally on that night in July of 69 with... with uh, two human beings walking on the face of the moon, and hopefully we'll be we'll be back there again in in a, in a couple of more few more years. You know, and some people are saying, "Hey, if we went there," and you know, these are the people saying that we didn't go there. Uh, uh, some people saying, "Well, why don't we go back? Why don't we go there now? We're doing all these other things. Why don't we go back now?" Is it just simply because we've already done it? I mean, why are we not you know building bases on the moon and all those sorts of things? You know, I had a big argument with my father-in-law about this. <laughs> my father-in-law. Uh, was one of the was one of the technicians uh, at at Grumman, which uh, put together the lunar module uh, back in the late 1960s. He was the guy. He was one of the guys who actually wrapped the lunar module up in that gold. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not foil. foil it's it's my, yeah mylar. Uh, the mylar foil, and he he was at Grumman, and he wrapped every every lunar module that went into space. Years later, many years later, I had a conversation with him. And he said, you know, I don't think we did very much. Why, why did we go to the moon? I, I, and this is from a man who actually helped, you know, put those spacecraft together. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and he felt that way. I understood why he felt that way, because as soon as we landed on the moon, they immediately started cutting back on the space program. Uh, Grumman, in fact, was going to lay off a number of people. He, he got out before he was laid off, but he, he had it from the standpoint of, no, what's the use? We went there, we got a few rocks, we came back. What it? And I, I said to him, you know, uh, I beg to differ. Um, he was a big wrestling fan. He, he loved to watch, uh, <laughs> he liked to watch WWF, uh, WWE wrestling. I said, let me ask you a question. Did you enjoy watching uh, Super Slam uh, last night on your big 60-inch uh, plasma TV? Did you enjoy... Uh, calling up uh, your relatives in Germany. He's a, he's he's in German. Uh, he's German. I said, you enjoy talking to your relatives in Germany uh, on your cell phone, on your iPhone the other day? I said, all of these things that we have today that we take for granted came out of the space program. Without the space program, a lot of the things that we enjoy, like having our own PCs, our own computers right, in yeah. our living room or our, our, our den, I mean, this this would have blown you away. Uh, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago. I remember going to the New York World's Fair in 1964 and seeing all of the wonders that were going to occur uh, in the 21st century. And sure enough, they have all come to pass because we sent men into space, and now women too, and it is because of that space program that we have uh, accomplished so much now, and we are going to accomplish more in the coming years ahead by going back into space, going back to the moon, and even perhaps going back to Mars, going to Mars, 
uh, in the, the next uh, 20 or 30 years. It's, it's, it's absolutely amazing. So, now, Joe, that's what I was asking the audience this morning, is because I wasn't alive, but everybody's telling me just what a feeling it was in the world. I mean, we're up in Canada, so we're, you know, I mean, we're a little closer connected than some other people around the world, but it seemed like a global phenomenon of, of inspiration and wonder and we can do anything was sweeping the globe when this happened. What's next? Is there something that we can aspire to that the entire world can go, this is a mankind achievement. Is there something out there? Well, you know, we're, we're, we're of course, wondering uh, with, the, with the recent reports from the United States government about UFOs, yeah. and there are about 140-some-odd uh, objects that have not been able to be uh, identified specifically as to what those things were, and then by the, uh, by the armed services of the United States. So are there, you know, other, uh, you know, other beings out there? It would be wonderful if we could somehow manage to communicate. I watched the movie the other day uh, uh, with uh, Jodie Foster, Contact, yeah. which was based upon the novel by, uh, by uh, the late, uh, great Carl Sagan. I mean, to actually, you know, uh, uh, hear uh, signals from another, uh, uh, another race, another, another intelligent life out there. That would, that's really something that would really blow us, blow us out of the water to be able to actually talk to to neighbors out there in 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 space. And of course, we have to uh, also consider the fact that with the overpopulation occurring uh, in in the world today, that we're eventually going to have to move some of us uh, somewhere else. And uh, maybe if we can move, uh, you know, start you know, building cities on the moon, that we might be able to take some of that population and move it up to the, up to the lunar surface and maybe to other, other places like, like Mars. So uh, it's, the, the, the sky is not the limit. I mean, we, we, You're right. we have a lot ahead of us. It's, it's infinite. I mean, we were just chatting with a guy earlier about wormholes, which they're just basically dipping their toe in the water to try and get some understanding around black holes and wormholes. There is so much left to discover. We don't know what's even around the corner. Oh, absolutely. And you talk about, for example, our knowledge of uh, on our technology. I mean, um, we're, we're trying to communicate using radio signals, radio waves. But consider this. Consider that, you know, if, if we go to, uh, you know, hundreds of years ago, let's say to Africa, uh, or even in the desert southwest of the United States, and they communicated, let's say, by beating drums. That was their way of communicating with the the next tribe or the next uh, group over uh, the mountain or over the hill somewhat. I mean, those people, thats that was their way of communication. They had no idea of what radio is. Radio was completely foreign to them. And yet, you know, uh, we, we use radio today, Maybe there's some other form of communication that some intelligent life is 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 using uh, out there that we're not, uh, uh, you know, we, we we don't know of yet, and uh, we we may know, you know, dozens or hundreds or thousands of years from now, uh, but but at least with the moon landing of 52 years ago, when we landed. Uh, human beings on another on the surface of another planet because that's really what it is the moon is a planet it's sure, uh, sure. It, it's 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 in fact it's the biggest satellite natural satellite in proportion relative to its uh, its its parent uh, you look at all the other over pla- all the other planets like jupiter for example it's this gigantic yeah, globe of gas the the moons are, are are tiny little dots compared to jupiter but here we we are living on a planet and we have a neighbor a quarter of a million miles away that's only about a quarter of the size of our own planet so 
it's 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 it, as you just mentioned uh, earlier, just a few you know a few minutes ago. It's it's all a start. It, it is yeah. all a start, and uh, who knows where where we're, where we're going to be, what we're going to be doing. You know, a hundred years from now, a thousand years from now, it's 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 we're just at the beginning. Okay, we were supposed to talk about planets. It's not going to happen because you're you're far too interesting on the things that we got off on tangents on, which is wonderful. Um, last one before I let you go. This Richard Branson, Jeff Bezos, Elon Musk space race. Where does this fit in this vanity project boutique space thing? What does it mean in terms of space exploration? Well, I think it means that uh, eventually people like you and I uh, will have a chance. Now, of course, it's not going to happen next week. It's no, not going to no. happen next month. It's not even going to happen probably 10 years from now because it costs so much. I think, what, $28, $30 million for a person yep. to go flying up into into space, but uh, you know, in, in in maybe fifty or a hundred or hundred fifty years, they're going to look back upon this day and they say, "This is where it all began." I mean, like you you, you talk about somebody at the beginning of uh, the twentieth century. I mean, who knew back in nineteen hundred that uh, by nineteen fifty or the, the late nineteen hundreds that people, not just a few people, I mean hundreds of people, yeah. will be flying in aircraft around <laughs> around the earth, going around the earth. So, you know, we look at this now, you know, in 50 or 100 years, it might very well be that it is what we saw today is going to be relatively routine. They'll be looking at this and saying, like, oh, big deal. Look at it. Yeah. They, 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 they sent a few people up into a spacecraft. They went up about 50 or 60 miles, and they came down 10 minutes later or whatever. Well, heck, that's what Alan Shepard did in 1961. And then that built on that. We started orbiting people around the globe, and, and then eventually we went to the moon. So, again, the sky is not the limit. We're in 50 or 100 years. Uh, maybe some people aren't too happy with uh, uh, the, uh, you know, Bezos and sure. uh, the, the other billionaires because of, you know, their, their practices uh, in industry or whatever like that. But, heck, these guys, they they had the interest, and they, they, they're getting us started. And, uh, we'll again, in about 50 or 100 years, it may be, again, just completely routine. Joe, um Awesome, awesome conversation. I'm out of time, but thank you so much. We'll do this again. Well, looking forward to it. Just give me a call. We I'm will. Here. We certainly <laughs> will. Thank you, Joe. That is Joe Rayo, who is uh, an instructor, guest lecturer at New York's Hayden Planetarium, which I believe is run by Neil deGrasse Tyson, if I if I remember correctly. Uh, awesome conversation. Way off on something we weren't meant to talk about, but boy, I'm glad we did. Thanks for listening today. To hear any of our other interviews, you can find them wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And if you like what you hear, don't forget to rate and review us.